Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about learning organizations with Brad Stotts, an associate professor of operations at the UNC Keenan-Flagler Business School. When we use the term learning organization, we're really talking about businesses and companies that are always improving themselves based on what they learned from past experiences. And to do that, companies provide feedback to see what they can do better in the future. So let's start there in a paper that you and a colleague published about negative criticism in the workplace. So when looking at it from a business standpoint, why is negative feedback so damaging when feedback itself is so important? It's interesting. I mean, I think one of the themes across my research is that often when it comes to learning, we're our own worst enemy. And that's certainly true when we look at negative feedback. The challenge we have as an individual is when we're told we're doing something wrong, you know, in some ways that's failure, right? And so, you know, what research shows is that that can be painful, that even that verbal, you know, identification of our failure can activate similar sensors in the brain as physical pain, physical failure might activate. And so kind of not shockingly, uh, on average, we'll often try to avoid it. So rather than confront that, you know, I've struggled, something's gone wrong, tell me what I did, how can I fix it? We, you know, pretend like, oh, that was all right, or we kind of move another direction or really that wasn't my my target after all you know I was I was aiming a little bit lower and see I hit it and so what's so interesting about the project that that you're referring to is it's at a company that has completely open review systems so each year workers give feedback on one another and they have to reach out and there's a mix of some you know if you and I are working right next to each other I, I more or less have to get get your feedback but there are a number of other folks across the organization that I can contact and so what we do in that one is, you know, we have all of those records for several years. Uh, it's completely public. So after the review comes, I know it was you who wrote it, not some anonymous figure. Uh, and uh, what we find kind of the key element is that, you know, when you give me a review that's lower than what I give myself, so negative feedback, instead of that turning into a learning opportunity, I actually just drop you as a reviewer the next year. So I, I move away from that. And so we've kind of titled that project Shopping for Confirmation, because what we see is that people go out looking for you know, validation rather than looking for the negative feedback that might help them learn. So really what it comes down to is people don't want to accept that they've failed at something. So I guess it's really people's obsession with success and fear of failure that's the problem here. You know, I think a lot of organizations I talk to, that fear of failure really resonates. And again, it's one of those that we can start there. There are understandable reasons, right? All things being equal, we'd rather get it right than get it wrong. And so the way we advance in, in whatever organization we're a part of is eventually we contribute value, which means we do something successfully. But we know that if we're really pushing the envelope, if we're trying new things, then they're not all going to work. Right? Sometimes they're, they're going to be unsuccessful. And so the problem is in many organizations, you know, the, that fear of failure has become so pervasive that what happens is people don't ever try new things. Now, there are a number of, of reasons why this occurs. One of them, as you're noting, is this kind of threat to self, that you know, we view it as fundamentally there's something wrong with me when I'm unsuccessful. And what's interesting is you can tie that back to some psychology research that's looked at our underlying view of intelligence. So Carol Dweck has done some great work on this and it's been built on by others. Kind of in the simple form, it says, hey, we have two views of intelligence. One is a fixed view. We think kind of we've been endowed with a certain amount and we just use it. And so the issue, if you only have a certain amount of intelligence and you fail, it's, it's saying, hey, I'm just not good enough. 
right? The other side is, is what's been called a growth mindset. And so that's viewing that, you know, intelligence can improve, that, that more or less we can learn. Kind of the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, is at play. And so what's so exciting about that latter view is that when things go wrong, instead of viewing, you know, I'm a failure, or this is never going to work, it's something's wrong, I can learn from it, I can advance and get there eventually. And it's that second perspective kind of thoughtful failure, we might call it, that's so important if we're going to learn successfully in an organization or frankly in any part of our life. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about this concept of being a learning organization. What about that mindset makes it so beneficial? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the basic premise is what got us here isn't going to get us there, that we know we're living in a world of continuous change. And so if we can't adapt with that change, we're not going to stay relevant. We're not going to be able to provide value where value can take lots of different forms, whether that's, you know, a university trying to educate, whether that's a company selling, you know, hamburgers or whatever it might be that, you know, we need to evolve with our customers. And so when we get that fixed mindset, when we're afraid to try something new, then then what it means is eventually somebody else is going to do it instead of us. And we're going to, to basically get pushed aside. And so, you know, there's this element of a need for continuous, you know, sometimes it's, it's as much as re- reinvention. Other times it's just, you know, improvement to be able to lower a price or to provide more within our service offering that if we don't learn, we're going to kind of be unable to proceed. What are some of the challenges that companies and businesses face when they want to start instilling this mindset? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so, you know, it's funny, this is part of how I got into academia in the first place. So I had mentioned kind of all of the the different experience set that I'd had. And something that had struck me through all of that was, you know, why was I seeing individuals and companies succeed and others fail with what seemed like the same resources, the same financial, the same people, you know, with kind of degrees and the same numbers, all that sort of stuff. And kind of what resonated with me was, you know, something about learning uh, and that 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 was a key difference. And I wanted to go and understand that. And the great thing about being a scholar and and learning is that there are, you know, hundreds of years worth of research for us to draw upon. At the same time, the thing I love about being a scholar of human behavior is we are enormously complex creatures who are always changing, right? So there are always new things. I think there are four things that jump out to me that often get in the way of learning that I'd highlight. One is success, as you already mentioned. A second is around action, that you know, we're so focused on doing that often that gets in the way of learning. And so we can kind of think of almost an execution bias, that we're tasking, 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 and never taking the time to step back to reflect on what we're doing, never taking the time to take a break and actually rest and recharge. The third thing that I'd highlight is challenge of conformance, that we you know, really think we need to act like others. We come into a new environment and we want to fit in. And unfortunately, if we want to be successful, there are times we need to fit in, but we also need to stand out. We're brought in, you know, not to do the things that everybody else has done, at least in a successful learning organization, but rather to push the envelope some. Steve Jobs has a quote that's roughly, you know, I hire smart people to learn from them, you know, not to tell them what to do. And so we need to make sure that that we're learning from, you know, those new folks and bringing their skills to bear, letting them deploy their strengths. The fourth challenge that we see is is a focus on experts. We often kind of come in and we look thinking, hey, somebody else knows what to do. I just have to find that person and do it. And, you know, a, a true learning organization recognizes that, that, yes, some people know more than others. That's perfectly fine. But everybody has knowledge that's important to understand what's going on here. And so we need to activate that knowledge. We need to make sure, you know, everyone is trying to improve. Everyone is working together towards that end. And kind of a number of these barriers that get in the way, the role 
goal of you know leaders for sure, but frankly, everyone in the organization is to try to remove those barriers to learning so we can move forward. What are some of the ways that people can overcome those challenges and actually start becoming a learning organization? There, you know, there are a number of different techniques depending on you know what it is that that you're trying to target. So let's take the fitting in bias. So for that one, kind of the concern is you know when you join a new organization, you're not sure how to act, right? It's a stressful time. You're looking to sort of be told what to do in some ways. When I showed up at you know age 22 at Wall Street to work at Goldman Sachs, I wasn't sure how I'd been trained as an engineer, right? I didn't know how to act, so I put on my pinstripe suit, I had my tie on, I learned you know, how to talk about apples to apples comparisons at the end of the day to drive synergistic value, you know, et cetera. And really at first wanted to be kind of, you know, fitting in. And for the company that's valuable too is, is they get kind of an opportunity to make sure that things keep, keep on keeping on. What we've seen though is if instead as a company you can find ways to help release the individual, then there are gains for each of you. And so how might you do that? Well, a key approach is to help people identify their strengths. What is it that you're uniquely good at? That talents, those set of talents really that you have, uh, you can deploy both to bring value to the organization, but also to help you learn faster. And so successful learning organizations do just that. They identify what are people good at. They don't try to fix every weakness uh, because they know there's some that just aren't important. The fact that you know I'm not a great door-to-door salesman is not uh, something that at this point I realize I need to fix. I just didn't accept that. There are other things that I do need to address in order to be successful at, uh, at my profession. And so great organizations you know, figure out, you know, how do we release the individual? How do we deploy strengths uh, as just one technique to, uh, to help on the learning front? So I guess that really brings us right back to where we started with this conversation, and that is providing feedback. Providing feedback is obviously crucial for a company to learn from its past and improve itself. But as you said before, negative feedback is not exactly a good thing either. So what is the best way to provide feedback to employees? I think there's probably two answers to that question. The first is around positive feedback, I'd say, that you know, too many of our developmental processes are negative, negative, negative. And they're so focused on what's going wrong that they don't take the time to look at what's going right. And so we go back to that discussion that I was just saying uh, that we want to identify our strengths. We want to, to deploy those. So the Gallup organization for many years has been looking at employee engagement. And the question they found that is by far the most predictive of success is, are you able to use your strengths at work? And so they see that when that is answered affirmatively, engagement scores are much higher. And so I think the first part in successful feedback is making sure that you've got a healthy, positive component to it. Let's identify what you're doing well. Let's work together at that. Something that's interesting is we often struggle at that ourselves. We need to turn to others to help us with it. I think the second piece is you know, around the negative feedback itself and, and would be about destigmatizing failure. And so it's not to be clear that we want an organization that is failing repeatedly at the same things over and over again, right? We don't need to be out of control. We'll be out of business if we do that. I love, uh, so there's a fast food restaurant that I've done a little bit of work with and the CEO there kind of points out that, hey, in this organization, if it's not unethical, if it's not illegal, everybody is allowed to make the mistake once. But you shouldn't make the same mistake more than once. Right? Once you've done it, you need to learn from it and go make new mistakes. And so I think that's a part of the feedback process is helping people see that the feedback is about learning, that it's not at its core 
you know, a story of evaluation. And so I think as you start to tie these things together, you know, true learning organizations appreciate that we need to get somewhere else. We know we're not there today, but if we work hard at it, we can do it. And so when these things go wrong, we view them as an opportunity to get better, not as an opportunity to castigate others or to insult or, you know, anything like that. You've been talking about failure as if it's a good thing. So why is failure good? What can we learn from failure that is so important? I think it's a great question. And it's one that, that I have to admit, kind of on a personal side, it's, it's a demon of my own. Um, I greatly prefer success. I, uh, I've trained and worked at my learning mindset over time, but I admire you know, my wife and, and others who are able to, to view failure you know, exactly as they should, that here's a great chance for us to move on. Kind of why is it so important? Because again, what we've done so far isn't what we need to do going forward. And so you know, no one in truly you know, attempting you know, new and innovative things can hit 100%, right? You can think of it as sometimes uh, with a class, I'll do an exercise of giving everybody a quarter and having them flip a coin. And, you know, eventually they'll, if they get tails, they sit down and someone is left having flipped, you know, six heads in a row and they're the winner, right? And so we look at them and we ask them about what they did. Well, what they did was they got lucky, right? We know it's flipping a coin. These are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, fair coins. And so we have to appreciate that if you flip that coin again and again, eventually it's going to come up tails. And so our goal Goal needs to be, you know, hopefully to shift off of that 50-50 so our decisions aren't you know, actually flipping a coin, but instead knowing that if, if 100% is the only choice that we'll make, we're leaving tremendous value on the table, right? There are things that have you know, 95% success, 5% failure, you know, you'd never do those. And we know that most of the real decisions that organizations have to tackle have far worse odds than that. And so I think kind of the underlying premise here is that we need to be taking bigger risks in many cases, not all, and so accept the fact that kind of intelligent failure is necessary and we need to learn from that and move on then. As you said, failure is kind of against human nature. People don't want to fail. So how do you start instilling this culture of learning from failing? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I think, you know, one of the things that really excites me as I study this topic more and more is, is the research is quite clear. You can teach an old dog new tricks. It's a matter of the old dog wanting to learn the new trick, that the human brain kind of is remarkably flexible and can change as you know, new things are introduced. I talked earlier about the fixed versus growth mindset. There's great research showing that, you know, yes, there's some trait elements that kind of we all have a natural inclination, but that a growth mindset can be taught, that you actually can be shifted in a direction to see that it's not just, you know, our intelligence has been fixed. Back to the destigmatizing failure, you know, kind of as a leader, there's a lot you can do to encourage risk taking. So Amy Edmondson at Harvard has done some wonderful work around the concept of psychological safety. And so the idea there is creating an environment that's safe to take risks. And so working with others, like the example of the fast food CEO I was saying, that he models the behavior. So he uh, had uh, done a new product introduction, kind of the rest of his senior management team didn't want to do it. He felt like it was a right choice. Uh, and so he basically overruled them and said, we're going to do this. Uh, unfortunately, it did fail. They were right. Um, and he kind of afterwards, we were asking him about what he learned. He said, sure, you know, I'd love to go back and not do it, but it doesn't work that way. You know, this was probably a half million dollar mistake. I've spent, you know, over $6 million on my education, but it's the best education money can buy. Uh, and so you think about that kind of attitude as a leader as you're passing that down so people see you're going to make mistakes. It's not, you know, that we can be terrified of that. Instead, it's let's figure 
out, you know, what can we learn from it? How do we not make the same mistakes again? And so I think if you combine all of that, you have a chance to, you know, individually learn, uh, but also as an organization, build a culture that helps you learn. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said or subscribe on iTunes or Android.